continuous improvement comes in lots of different flavors and styles. I'm Bella Engelbach, and I'm inviting you to journey with me to the edges of lean. Episode 101, Continuous Improvement and Hidden Disabilities with Catherine McCord. Catherine McCord was the little girl who played HR rather than princesses, and when other kids were selling lemonade, she sold shares in her imaginary company. She even fired her mother when she was five years old. Catherine, who is a physically and neurodiverse woman, built her career on inclusive innovation in people operations and HR tech. She lives by the motto that different is not a deficit, and she's here to share her insights on how lean practitioners can understand and support people with hidden disabilities. Catherine McCord, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Thank you. I'm excited to be here today. It's great to have you here today, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's part of um, a series that um, we're actually doing on the edges of the lean about the different ways that different people's brains work and, and how that is impactful for those of us who are working okay. in continuous improvement. So it's going to be a great conversation today. Catherine, tell us what you do and a little bit about your path to doing what you do today. A little bit about my path. Well, it started when I was very young. My mother was in HR. My father was an educator. And they would always take me to work with them and let me kind of expose me to different things from a very young age. And so I was the child that my mother was in HR and she would play uh, interview with me and I would set up like like a little a little desk, right? She would fill out an application that I had made, up, made and up. I would I would hire her and then we would... Uh, role play employee relations. I even fired her once, which is kind of jacked up for like a five-year-old to fire their mother. You, you fired your mom? <laughs> Not as my mother, but as whatever employee she was supposed to be. It was, oh, okay. it was, it was you, very do you funny. Remember what the, do you remember what the, uh, what led to the firing? I don't. There was some very serious infraction in my mind. She might could tell you, I can't remember at this point, but um, it was it was very funny. I do remember her trying so hard not to laugh while I was doing it. And um, so anyway, so I, that that was kind of my intro into it, I suppose. And then I always kind of had a human uh, a human uh, function in my in all my jobs, you know, taking care of the other people that worked with me. Um, that started turning into HR roles. Uh, and you know, I was was around recruiting and hiring. Then I ended up working for a recruiting company. That was great. It was fantastic experience uh, doing true headhunting, but I didn't like how the humans were treated. So I decided to split off and do it for myself because I thought I could do it better. And I do think I do it better for the record. And I, uh, and so now that's evolved into full-on people operations consulting. Um, over the years, I do um, everything hiring to firing now for all the humans. And I specialize uh, working with neurodiversity and disability inclusion as well. So I'll bring in other voices, right, for other inclusion projects, other aspects of what I of what I do. I have different contractors that come in, um, but those are kind of my passions. And then I also speak internationally on those topics as well, as well as innovating hiring. So when you say people operations, you're talking about everything that's involved in and taking care of the humans. So taking kind of what used to humans. be, yeah, what used to be called HR, but now it's kind of evolved into a bigger concept than, than what HR was. So that's what I'm referring to. Okay. And that's really important because organizations 
really they're all about humans no yeah whatever machine they're run by humans they're you know they, humans. they should right. be they should be about humans yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> right right so one of the things that you that you said that really captured my interest there was was about um disability inclusion uh and so can you tell us what that means sure absolutely so disability is something that you know, a lot of people kind of have an image in their mind right somebody with a cane a walker a wheelchair but what they don't realize is that there's a wide variety of disability right and a lot of them are invisible disabilities for instance i have six invisible disabilities um which is kind of a lot but um that's, yeah. that's not necessarily normal, but uh, there are, but there is a lot of intersectionality with disability. Um, and we need to understand that there's three different kinds of disability. So there's legal, which is however, where you live defines disability, right? So here in the States, it's run by the uh, ADA. And then, you know, overseas, they have different different ways of doing it as well. Uh, then there's medical disability, which is when the medical community uh, views you as disabled. And that just simply means that there's some aspect of your biology that doesn't quite work uh, normally and, and has something that causes a little bit of difficulty. Um, and then it moves over to social disability. And that's where there's a lot of struggle right now. And what we're kind of trying to push against is that uh, because social disability is when society tells you that you're disabled, whether or not that's true, and they tell you what you can and cannot do, whether that is accurate or not. And so we're trying to move away from that. Um, and it's also when society doesn't designed inclusively and thus causes disability. So that's what social disability is. So that's, and then you have uh, the other term that I used was neurodiversity, which is part of the disability community. And that's just simply a medically visible and or diagnosable difference in how the body and mind process information and stimuli. So everything from um, epilepsy and traumatic brain injury, all the way over to autism, ADHD, dyslexia, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, so on and so forth. And what science is finally catching up to is that these things, yes, they have a disability aspect, but then they also have benefits as well. Right. Superpowers that go along with. Yeah. That, right? yeah. <laughs> And think yeah, about it, yeah. we're designed that way, right? Like we, if we're going to have a, if our body and mind are designed so that if we have a problem over here, we develop a solution over here, right? That's just how it works. So it makes sense that there's also benefits to it. Right. And then when it comes to all these different types of disability, use the word intersectionality. And that's that's an interesting word as well. And I think it's not, you know, I don't know where we always understand what interse intersectionality means. So could you define that for us when you're talking about right, intersectionality? Yeah. So intersectionality is simply when uh, two different concepts coexist, right? And, and in this case, we're talking about uh, different human elements. So for instance, intersectionality and inclusion might refer to somebody who is non-white, a biological female, and then also has a neurodiversity, right? Um, but then even in the disability community that you can have physical disabilities, for instance, I have mast cell activation syndrome, MCAS, that's purely physical, it does not affect my neurons. Uh, and then I also have obsessive compulsive disorder. So that's an intersectionality in my disability that I have both is coming from two different angles. So that's what that's referring to. Right. So, so what that's saying is, and it's just, but it's so true about humans, right? Is 
you can't just look at a human being and put them in a bucket and say, right. well, this person is in this bucket over here. They have this particular diagnosis or, or issue or, or right. you know, what, whatever it is. And therefore, here is the solution. Right. Yeah. It, it does not work. It does not work. There's all kinds of intersectionality. And then every manifestation is different. So my experience with obsessive compulsive disorder is different from other people's. My experience with my bipolar is different from other people's. The same thing with my MCAS. Um, and the list goes on. It's You have to look at the individual. And so that's where I think a lot of companies and even individual humans start to feel overwhelmed when thinking about inclusion because they think it's just going to be this vast, complicated situation, right? But what the kind of the example that I always use is, you know, you know everybody's name in your life, right? The, the main people, like the, the people that you work with every day, the people, you know, mm -hmm. all this, right? You know their names. And if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you know, when you're introducing yourselves and you shake their hands and you say, for instance, you know, okay, Michael, you know, it's nice to meet you. And they say, actually, I'd prefer to be called Mike. And you go, great. Then they're just Mike, right? And it's no big deal. And that's just how you how you process it. So it needs to be the same kind of thing with inclusion, right? It's like you're you're kind of going along. And when the person says, oh, well, actually, this would be more helpful for me, you just go, okay. And then you and then you keep going. And if you think about it, you know where you're wherever where people like to eat, right? You know how they like to communicate. You know, it our bodies and minds actually are already designed for this. We just have to stop making it such a big deal and just go, okay, <laughs> you know, cool beans. Let's just roll with that and then just do it. Yeah, yeah. But but it does sound scary, right? It, it does. It sounds as soon as it sounds expensive too. Um, it, but, it just um, sounds expensive. It's not. It's not actually uh, the Department of Labor here in the States is, uh, did recently released information saying that 56% of accommodations are free and that another 20% or so are under 10 or under 10 or $15. I can't remember which one it was, sorry, under 10 or $15 a month. So that's cheap. That's easy. And that's exactly, you know, what, what we in the lean and continuous improvement community, that's the kind of stuff we love, right? right. What <laughs> is the thing that is simple, easy, free, cheap, less than 10 yep. bucks that yep. you can do to make work, to make the work easier for somebody, which right. often the person who's doing the work can tell you, right? Yes. So it also involves that aspect of, all right, well, what would make this work for you? What would make this easier right. for you? Because, um, you know, it's it's not necessarily about something that's gigantic or huge or expensive. Right. And it's a little thing to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. So, Catherine, I want, but I want to talk a little bit more about that because I think one of the things that goes with that then is an environment where people feel safe to disclose yeah. what their particular needs are. Yeah. Um, so, so talk to us a little bit about that and the kind of environment that's needed because it's um, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um. So. When you're when you're building out any team for any reason, you know, you, you want the team to be able to function cohesively, right? To be able to to have its maximum potential and cooperate together and and function in a way that's uh, symbiotic and that's seamless, right? And the way that you do that with human beings is to create uh, psychological safety. 
so that these humans, especially in a work environment, these humans know that they can, all it means is that it means that they can speak up, dissent, and have ideas without fear of repercussion. That's all that means. That's all it is. Just that they know that that information will be accepted and maybe implemented, maybe not, but that it will be received well. And so the way that you do that is number one, break your ego defense, which is completely natural, by the way. I want to just put that out there. Every single human on the planet is born with an ego mechanism inside of their brain. Um, it has a biologic, biological purpose, but that's a whole other show. Um, <laughs> but as we get older, it actually becomes uh, something that hinders us, especially in the way that our society functions today. So what you want to do is as your brain starts to throw up defenses, um, so what happens it, when you when you hear something that's different from how you think or how you process, your brain throws up defenses as to why it's right and that's wrong. And so when that starts to happen, you just say, no, thank you, brain. I want to I want to learn about this. And instead of responding with what your brain is saying, stop, take a breath and say, tell me more about that. You know, it just it explain a little bit more about that to me and start to break that ego defense and listen to what the other person is saying, you know, clarify, you know, repeat back to them what you've understood, clarify, move forward, you know, and start to have the conversation that way and piece it together that way. It works extremely well. And that's one of the key foundations to building psychological safety. It well, is asking that is saying, tell me more. But then, as you yeah. said, is also really listening. Because yes. I think sometimes when you say, tell yes. me more, you can do it as a way just to compose more of your, um, your oh, yeah. why we can't do that, uh, you know, why this isn't going to work. So, oh, yes. so it also takes that really listening. Okay. And I love really what you listening. said, Catherine, you said, <laughs> I want to learn more about that because what that does is now that puts your brain out of the, your reactive thinking, right. Yes. And into your creative thinking. So it's yes, like, yeah, I really do want, you know, tell me more about that. You know, mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know much about whatever this is. Yes. Let's hear more about it. Let's hear what your reason is. And, and you can always find a way because any time that there's somebody giving you a, fee a piece of feedback, you can assume that there's a whole army behind them that thinks or feels the same way. So hearing that feedback is extremely vital, whether you're in a design process, whether you're talking about building out customer solutions, uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, HR function, whatever it is, you need to listen to them because there is something in there that's going to provide long-term value. It's not just about this one human. And yes, you should care about that one human, right? But it's about you know, make, streamlining things, making it more efficient. Because if you hear it now and you fix it now, you don't have to keep, you know, trying to combat the same problem further down the road. Catherine, what, about what percentage of people in the workplace do you think are, have some kind of invisible disability? So if you accumulate data from the American Disabilities Act, um, from the Department of Labor, uh, so on and so forth, and you kind of mash all of that together and, and you know, assume some intersectionality and all that, you're looking at around 50 to 55% of the uh, population in general that, mm -hmm. that have these types of things uh, from one degree or another. Well, let me put it this way. 54% can benefit from some form of accommodation, okay? That could be eyeglasses, hearing aids, whatever it is, Right. Um, when you narrow that down to the workforce, you're looking at about 35 to 40% of your workforce can use 
some kind of, a, of accommodation. And in a time where people are saying, I need to hire, I can't find people to hire, that there's the, the relationship between the number of, of, of people with uh, visible disabilities who are in yes. the workforce and the number of people who are not, not in the workforce, that's an interesting relationship. That means it for is. some people, they just may not be able to work. But for other people, they may be wanting to work, but have not yes. found a place where they can work. And so a big part of... A big part of that, to your point, a big part of that is that our, our hiring process is horrible. It's it's not designed, number one, it's not designed to set any candidate up for success. It's not. Um, it's, it's an almost aggressive process, which is so counterproductive mm. to anything. Um, and it's and it's all focused on a piece of paper that there's no right or wrong way to create, right? It's all subjective and that makes no sense. So from the very get-go for our application process on, it's an almost combative uh, situation for the candidates. And so when we, when we learn to hire better uh, and we learn to actually focus on the humans and, and get to know them and to set them up for success in the interview process, that makes a huge difference. And then you see these people with uh, invisible disabilities start to land jobs and companies get less frustrated because they're actually getting the talent in, bringing in the right people and the interview process goes much smoother and much quicker. Right. Yeah. I, but it's what you just said is so true. I mean, I see so many people saying, well, I, you know, tried to, I applied to this, this job, but the, you know, the online form, was really difficult to fill out um you know mm -hmm. you, you could have actually you know it'd be difficult for ever, for anybody to fill these forms out the kind of yes. persistence that you're supposed to have to follow through on on this on um you know something an application that you filed i mean i think this is this idea oh, well crazy. if the person really wanted the job they'd follow up with me four or five yeah. times well, why <laughs> they they don't have time. i mean you want to hire somebody right so why are you right. making them follow up four or five times i mean that's not fair it's either. Nuts. no it's nuts it's, it's absolutely nuts. bonkers yeah, yeah. we're just and, you know in lean terms we're just creating rework when we do that we are asking, oh yeah you look you're looking for the candidate who really enjoys doing rework uh, you know, oh yeah, that's yeah. It, do, it doesn't make any sense. That's exactly counterproductive. Yeah, and then you have personality tests, which just make me want to scream. Um, I'm, I'm all for now. There are assessments that help you learn somebody's learning and communication style, and that's great for post hire during the onboarding process, mm -hmm. so that you can you know learn how to better take care of them and communicate to keep everything lean and you know efficient. But during the interview process, I tell people I like, quit using personality tests. Number one, they don't work. They don't, it does, it's not gonna tell you anything about the person that you shouldn't be able to pick up on in an interview. And most people fake their way through it anyway, because it's extremely obvious which answer you want them to give. Right? right. Like, if you, <laughs> like if you see, if you see a customer picking up a, you're picking up a pack of gum, you know. Yeah, yes, like, just, what, like, what are well, you going to do? You know, nobody's gonna though. answer, I'll let them walk out of the store, right? Well, right, yeah, exactly. Well, then even with the ones that they think are so in depth, this always cracks me up. And they're like, oh yeah, ours is super in depth and yada, yada, yada. And, and I go through and there'll be a, and all the questions are things like, um, what was that? There was one that really cracked me up. Oh yeah, it was so overt. And it just said, uh, which one of these things, you know, most aligns with you? And it was like three obviously negative characteristics and then one glaringly positive. And I'm like, 
and you just it's so obvious it's so obvious or or there's two you know better answers and two obviously bad ones you know and it's just the, the way that these things they're a waste of time they stress people out and honestly you lose candidates because there are a lot of candidates they're just going I'm not participating in this if you're this right. kind of company you know if you're if you just want me to jump through hoops just have me jump through hoops i'm just not going to do it and so you okay. you lose out on or or they have a strong anxiety response to it and either way you lose out on great candidates yeah so why do we have these kinds of processes then Catherine? what's what's the what do you think <sighs> is caused is, is has caused us to create these processes some of it is just an archaic way of doing things so back i mean we all know you know back well about a hundred years ago employees just they were disposable to companies right they they were treated no different than a piece of machinery um and you were just kind of considered lucky to get a job right um society has progressed but there are still a lot of systems in place from that time that a lot of things have not really updated since then which is funny because a lot of our laws and and social policies have, but somehow hiring is just still stuck in that old way. Um, the other thing that's happened a lot are these trends, right? Uh, that's where you see like the personality tests and things like that. These are trends. Um, they do a great marketing job of telling you all these, you know, supposedly great benefits and all this kind of stuff, where really all you're doing is making more work for yourself and the candidate. And that's all that's happening there, you know? And, and so we kind of get stuck um, between these old ways and these trends and then figuring out what actually works. But what's interesting is now there are a few select groups that are really trying to figure out what actually works, <laughs> not just, <laughs> you know, not just the, um, the let's put a, put a bandaid on the, on the, on the wound. Uh -huh. It's the actual, let's stitch it up. Let's do this already. Let's fix it. Let's completely rebuild it and fix it. And frankly, that's what needs to happen. It's just gut hiring, just get rid of it and build it all the way back up from the beginning because then you'll get a much better process. And that, that I think is a challenge, right? Where people have built yes. whole systems around it and including including um, IT systems around that process. Now you made this really big investment in some yes. IT system which is based on a process. All systems are based on a process. And now if you come in and say, well, to be successful, you need to completely change that process, then it's going to be really tough. Catherine McCord, you told us that about 30 to 40% of the working population uh, may have some type of invisible disability. So I, I want to pose right. a, a, a theoretical to you. So um, a continuous improvement consultant is coming into an organization, is going to be working mm -hmm. with a team to um, refresh a process, recreate a process, you know, solve a problem in the organization. What right. kind of assumptions should that person discard before they walk into that room with that team for the first time? All of them. <laughs> never assume no i'm playing uh there, there are some good assumptions right you know you can assume that you're all gonna be working towards you know uh uh that they that they're welcoming you there you know you're gonna have some sort of similar goal that kind of thing um but in terms of disability and things like that um what i always tell just ask find out uh you you know you never know what the situation is uh when it comes to designing to make sure that you're inclusive 
ask. You can't possibly know everything, ask. Um, and what, But what you can do to prep for that so that you can go into it um, prepared to design for inclusion is do some of your asking ahead of time. So for instance, let's say that you're going in to completely revamp a customer experience, just you know, hypothetically. So what you could do ahead of time is, you know, you know the product and that type of thing, do some anonymous polls and some feedback groups where you're actually engaging, do both, and collect data from those sources from the kind of the 14 broad diversity uh, categories. And then you, you take that data into that situation and say, this is what I've learned so far. So then your asking is already done right, for the most part. And then you can just ask the people in the organization and get their part of the input. But then two thirds of your asking is already done. You go in looking smart, right? And you've already collected all this data. Your client thinks you're a genius, you know? <laughs> so you have all these great things to, to offer right off the bat and it works beautifully. Um, but that's, but, but honestly, that's what I do with clients. I go in already with some idea of, of what's going on and what we need to be doing. And then, it sounds to me that when you do that, you've already made it possible to talk about different abilities and disabilities because you're yes. bringing that to the table already. So what, so if you're going in and saying, for example, that we know, you know, we're designing for customers and we know that some of these customers are, um, you know, let's say they're older and they, they may be having, right. they may be having trouble hearing what we're telling them, literally, literally hearing what right. we're telling them, um, you know, uh, oh, here's some solutions. Solutions to that. You're already <laughs> mm -hmm. saying to people, it's okay to talk about the fact. Yes. You know, what whatever yes. it is that, that yeah, whatever it is with, that you have going here. on. Yes, exactly. 100%. And I will tell you too, that companies that will publish this type of work, um, for instance, Hewlett Packard did some wonderful work uh, based on one of their founders who was neurodiverse. They created a, um, I forget, I forget the name of the, 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 the cute title that they had a really cool title for it. Um, but basically it was a neurodiverse cultivation program. And so from hiring all the way to just day-to-day -day function, they basically told people, whatever is going to make you comfortable, whatever is going to make you happy, work that way. And so people had noise canceling headphones. They had, uh, would sit on yoga balls instead of desk chairs. They would have fidget spinners, uh, different apps that work for them better on, you know, like note taking apps, uh, PDF readers, things like that. And that uh, program was 33% more productive than its counterparts, right? And so then they, they've published this now. They've made it very public. And so now what's happening at Hewlett Packard is more people are going, oh, you're safe. Oh, you're a good place. You'll listen to me. You'll care about me. And so they're, they're, you know, there's a, an influx of talent headed that way. And that's true for other companies that do this type of thing as well. I have one of my clients, Synchro, is uh, incredible in that way. And they really market their inclusion. They really market their humans and make sure that people understand that they're welcome. They've taken some very public positive inclusion stances and it works people flock to them and their own team opens up to them when they do this so so it starts with just with awareness right but then yeah what you're saying is that it moves to action and again what you're saying yes. some of the action is not necessarily big or expensive no it's just 
Not at all. Yeah. I mean, think about it. If you're going to get somebody a headset anyway, who cares if it's noise canceling or not? And, you know, and if you're going to get somebody a mouse pad anyway, who cares if it has wrist support or not, you know, or whatever it is. Um, and a yoga ball is way cheaper than a desk chair, just pointing that out. Um, <laughs> you know, you're talking, you know, 20, 20 to 25 bucks versus 120 or whatever, you know. Right, um, right. So it can actually even be cheaper sometimes. And, and ultimately, the other things that have been found is that you get um, uh, healthier, happier employees, which means better retention. They're more productive. They're, the innovation goes up. And ultimately, the profits and e which Boston Consulting Group says is about 19 percent. So the uh, the profits go up and even the customer satisfaction. So when your humans are comfortable, they're able to do their job better. And so that's what I always tell people. That's the ultimate goal. Right. So when you just set them up for success and then kind of let it roll. And by the way, as a manager, your whole job is taking care of your people. Like, let's be honest. That is your function. Right. <laughs> that is your primary function. There's some other secondary things that go on over here, but your primary function is taking care of those humans. And so when you learn to effectively do that, the benefits are just off the charts. They're astronomical. Um, I've even seen it in my team. It's, it's unbelievable. And creating that psychological safety, letting them know that they can speak up, have ideas, implementing their feedback, um, these types of things, it really does make a difference in, in your people's response to you and ultimately your customer's response to you as well. You know, there's been a lot of pushback recently around DEI concept, right? And yeah. a lot of that, I, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a political component to it. But um, are you seeing in the business world people moving more towards it or away from it? What do you Kind think? of both. So it's kind of weird. Um, so there are a lot of companies that want to do it. They just don't want to hire somebody to make it happen. So you're yeah, seeing the title is a little poisonous, maybe that not. Yeah, it, it's um, it's well, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you real honestly, part of the problem is that uh, DEI folks tend to be more emotionally based humans, not always, but tend to be more emotionally based humans, and they are not as good at making a business case for their job and setting metrics so that the company can actually see progress in their work. Um, so I think that the reason we're seeing a lot of layoffs of DE&I folks is that there was no visible justification for their job. So yes, there's the integrity fact factor, but then companies think, well, we can just do that on our own, right? Um, mm -hmm. So there was a little bit of that. There was also, and then there's also, again, this, you know, we want to be lean right now. There's some uh, uh, kind of economic things, right? Some economic factors, some downturns, things like that. And so people are wanting to streamline. They're also just wanting to streamline in general, right? Because the whole world is moving more towards, <laughs> towards being effective and efficient, thank God. Um, and so they're just wanting to streamline. So they're trying to find ways to to kind of cut back on things but then also they realize that it is the responsibility of everybody so they're like well if it's the responsibility of everybody then we don't need to just pay one person right which is kind of yes and no um it's always good to have somebody leading the herd right right <laughs> and it's, and sure. it's good to have it's <laughs> i think it's really good to have someone who can say hey this is what this looks like right yes right? because absolutely. it's one thing to have the intention <laughs> yes. to be inclusive but yes. but if you don't know what are some of the things that you can do to be inclusive yeah. or some of the ways you might inadvertently like where do I start? not being inclusive, you <laughs> yes. know, someone's got someone's gotta 
light the way no show them. absolutely and, until it's so ingrained in the culture that you don't need that anymore that yes that's what you wait for when it's just so natural that you don't have to think about it anymore then you no longer need your dei person um and you can do this through consulting you can if it's a long-term consultant because you want somebody that gets to know you and can really do the work with you um, i recommend multiple consultants or somebody who can provide other humans as well you don't just want one person you know, doing it because there again, you can kind of get stuck behind that one voice kind of ruling uh -huh, all situation. Yeah. But really, if you if you want to hire a good DEI person, this is what I tell people: um, for the person who's going to oversee everything, what you're looking for is someone who thinks big picture and building processes and that type of thing. That's what you're looking for, not somebody who wants to have a bunch of education sessions and and stop there, right? And not somebody who only has one specialty but someone who understands bringing in the different voices and building out a broad scope, truly you know, ingrained in the culture type situation. And then you have to give them autonomy to really run with it. And that can mean sometimes being, you know, working with different leaders to say, okay, this person really shouldn't be in this job. Here's why, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, they may need to have autonomy to change certain processes to just go into HR and just say, hey, like this hiring process stinks. We gotta, we gotta make it more inclusive, you know, that type of thing. So you have to also give that person autonomy over their position, which is really true of anybody in any position, but especially a DEI. If you want it to work, you need somebody who can think broad scope and then make it happen. And 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 it sounds to me as if they also need to be able to have really good, strong working relationships with the people who can make that work happen, right? So right. that um, so that you know, I think sometimes you may think of that, that role as being in HR related to HR, but, yes. but as you were pointing out, so much of it is about HR process. So, yes, you know, someone who can, who can actually, you know, have that relationship with the head of HR, mm -hmm. you know, so the head of HR yes. can sponsor that kind of change and be for, yes. um, you know, someone who, you know, who works well with the continuous improvement people who can provide yes. them tools and techniques for doing those kinds of improvements um you know absolutely but, you know, yeah give people the autonomy and the and the tools and the people yes as well exactly 100 percent. and when you're interviewing somebody one of the what I've, I've been asked this before and i think it's so important to know when you're interviewing dei folks uh two things number one ask them their approach to dei uh, ask them, you know, how they deal with somebody who's maybe doing something that is prejudicial, you know, what's their approach and listen for that and avoid shame and blame at all costs, especially in an organization. I get it. I get it from an emotional standpoint, but it does not actually work when you're trying to help humans grow. And then the other thing is that uh, you want to make sure that they're not a specialist. Um, and, and when I say a specialist, everybody's going to kind of have their specialties, right? But that they're not exclusive to that specialty. They need to be able to think outside of it. So for instance, if you have someone who only works with religious inclusion or only works with gender inclusion or only works with racial inclusion or what you know, neurodiversity inclusion or whatever it is, if that's all that they understand and they've not expanded their horizons past that, they're not a good DEI leader. They need to be able to think outside of just the one area. So you're looking again for a leader in DEI, not for every practitioner, but for the leader of DEI, you want somebody who is more global with their thinking. And growth oriented, right? Because yes. there's always more to learn. Yes. 
and flexible. Always about flexibility, man. If somebody in DEI is not a flexible person, they're in the wrong line of work. Just well, yeah, the, they yeah. found the wrong career. Heart the right place, mind not so much. So what I'm I'm just I just want to go back and think about this from the point of view of so the the internal or external continuous improvement folks who are working with an organization. Um, right. We've talked a little bit about the fact that you that if you're working with a group with a department or a group, you could, there's a certain number of those people are likely to have some type of invisible disability. Be yes. neurodiverse. What does that mean in terms of how to communicate? Oh, that's a good one. So I'm, I'm a very big believer in multifaceted communication. Anyway, um, I'm the you know in every email there's you know I like to do visual aspects to kind of help make different things pop and organize it visually. Um, if there's links, that's taps into the kinetic, right? So they can actually do something they can actually go and, and do. Um, audio is also great. You can obviously incorporate that in email by implanting a video, that type of thing. But you want to make sure that you're tapping into the three major communication and learning styles. That's extremely important. And then as a leader, you need to be catering to each individual's needs um, the same way you would with anything else, right? So if if you know somebody communicates better a certain way, do that. Like if Slack is their their thing or whatever. And what I do is I create to keep it very lean because that's very much my mentality. I kind of have one template that I can copy paste to different forums, right? So send it out on Slack, send it out in an email. And then if you have further questions, there's a link where you can book a call with me. I'm not a very big, let's have meetings to communicate stuff that could have been an email human, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like and, and, that, and that disrupts their day when they didn't need to be disrupted, right? So send it out, uh, make sure that you address the three primary uh, communication forms, send it to a few different platforms. And then if people need clarification, then you can have a meeting or they can book individual one-on-one -on -one times outside of that. Just keep it simple, but just keep in mind the three different communication styles. That's huge. I I love that idea of including here's how you can book time with me, because mm -hmm. I think it's very easy to say, hey, if you ever had a question, give me a call. But that yeah. might not be inviting to someone who has anxiety around right. phone calls, for exact example. Right, right. Plus, what if so, you don't answer? And then they're like, oh, God, they didn't want to take my call. You know? Yeah, yeah, they knew it was me, and yeah, there's a yeah. whole, yeah, a whole potential set of yeah. issues right and, there. And for, yeah. and for that kind of thing, just set it in like ten minute blocks. Like, have a link on your calendar that that allows for just ten minute blocks, and send that link in those communications. So that it's just a quick little "let me answer your question" kind of situation. What a cool idea! Thank you, Catherine. That's really I love that idea. <laughs> I told you I'm on board with this lean business. I'm a huge, That's I'm a huge efficiency, uh, efficiency nerd for what, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. And, and, and 10 minutes is, is about as efficient as you can get. Um, so just, just thinking about you, you mentioned that you, you have six different invisible disabilities. Yeah. Um, that's a lot and it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot yeah it's it's a and they lot. keep trying to add one but I told my doctor it's not allowed I'm like no yeah, okay. we're cutting no, it off no. in six that's it you're, you're done you're done you've, yeah. you've, you've got enough yeah you yeah 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 you're gonna get out of that line <laughs> get out of that line, line into the healthy line <laughs> yeah 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 um, and we talked a little bit about this, about this concept of inter intersectionality and, and not mm -hmm. like putting people into a bucket. Right. Um, 
So when we are, you know, when we're, we're working with people and everybody's, you know, I think, you know, you know there are part, you know, as you said, 30, 40% of people in the workplace may have an invisible disability. And then there are those of us who, who you know, who have may have a visible disability, even if it's as simple as, well, you know, I can't see a thing if I lost my glasses. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, when, when we're all working together, what are the kinds of things where one um, kind of disability may bump up against another oh, and, and how do we handle that? That is a true story. So I will tell you, I struggled to learn. Now I'm great. I have friends who are ADHD. I love working hand in hand with people who are ADHD. Um, if they supervise me, that's fine. But I struggled to train people with ADHD. That was tough for me for many years. I had to teach myself how to do that because it conflicts with my type A, my my type A, my bleh, sorry, my type A personality and my obsessive compulsive disorder. It completely conflicts. <laughs> so that was that was very difficult for me. Um, so number one, while I was learning, we reached compromises. You know, we I would have an honest conversation with them and say, you know, look, I know it's me, not you. Um, but you know, do me a favor, you know, if I start to seem frustrated, just, just kind of let me know, just go, Hey, you know, let's take a quick break, that kind of thing. Let me step away. And then I started practicing it. I started honing my skills and I got better and better. Um, but ultimately like, let's say you have two people on your team that have conflicting needs. You just sit down and sort it out. There's always a compromise. There's always a way to work it out. Um, typically it's just, uh, creating, you know, kind of the, the better communication style by steering into each other's strengths. Because sometimes what I realized as a leader is that I had misassigned work, right? Or I was assuming mm. that every, you know, for a while there was that everybody was being strong at everything. No, it's okay to create symbiotic teams. So I love to partner people together in groups of two to three and, and let them all, you know, function together in their own little world to make sure that the work gets done. So if you have somebody who is excellent at, you know, the long customer service conversations and and they're just really going to get in there and make the person feel better and calm them and soothe them but the other person is really great at the documentation and you know the the background working with the tech team all of that put them together you know let them work let them feed off of each other and these are two very different personalities you know that are then let them work together symbiotically to build a cohesive team the same amount of work's getting done the same amount of work it's just being done in a more effective way so steer into strengths and give yourself grace and, and learn those there. Those are my tips. So, that, and so that's, that's great. But it brings to mind another question to me. So, so again, you, you said you, you have these, these six invisible disabilities. I think there's a right. lot of people walking around, particularly people who are neurodiverse, oh, yeah. who don't have a diagnosis, right? Never Very occurred true. to them. They have something that needs to be diagnosed. They're just quirky or they're, they're, you know, some people say they're yeah. lazy or they're, they're inattentive or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the the language is. How do you manage that in the workplace? Because I think it's one thing if a person comes in and says, hey, you know what? I have a diagnosis of ADHD. I've had this since I was six. And these are the accommodations that I've expected or that, that worked well for me in school and college yeah. in the workplace versus somebody who, you know, who comes in. This is just the way they are. They have no idea that... <laughs> It's even a disability, right? Humans. They might have yeah. been yelled at their whole life for something they're doing, but it's just who they are. 
Um, right. How do you, how does that work? You know what? I don't think it's any different. So the way that I manage is that I don't really need to know your what. It's great if you want to share it with me, right? You you just, you know, if you are the why, that's actually the why. I don't need to know your why. You don't need to tell me why you need this or why you need that. Just tell me what you need and how you need it. That's it. So the, the, the communication doesn't really change uh, when it's somebody diagnosed versus undiagnosed because, um, in, you know, they can still tell you the same information. Now, it's wonderful if somebody wants to disclose and tell me what their diagnosis is. I'm all for it. Yay, great. You know, it happens a lot in what I do. Um, I have people now that that's how they introduce themselves to me. They'll be like, hi, I'm Lisa. I have ADHD. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's great to meet you. Um, good to know. Thank you for sharing. Uh, you know, and it's, it's a lot of fun. It's cool. But, um, but really and truly, you know, you don't need to know the why. And so you just you just get to know the person, watch them and observe them. And uh, my husband, who's honestly one of the finest managers I've ever had the privilege to, to witness, we've worked together in every capacity. I've been his leader. He's been mine. And we've worked side by side and he's brilliant. And he, he taught me, you know, if you're um, a leader and you don't know your humans, you've failed, you know, so you, you should know your people. You should know what makes them tick. You should know what they need, get, you know, get to know them. And so that process doesn't change. And I'll tell you honestly too, um, Bella, it is that it doesn't, there are a lot of people out there with diagnoses who have no better idea how to take care of themselves than someone without, because mm. they've been taught that they shouldn't, that they should just be normal and that they should just function the way other people that are different from them function. But that doesn't make any sense, you know, that right. that's counterproductive. So there's just as many of those folks out there with a diagnosis that can't take care of themselves. So you have to learn together how to help them work naturally and take care of themselves. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because yes, if somebody has been told, all right, you know, hide this, you know, try, yeah. try, try to be like everybody else. I mean, first of all, nobody's like everybody else, but right. Yeah. But, but there is some kind of a standard, right. There's a standard. And I can tell, I know where, where people in lean, where we sometimes bump up against this is, you know, because we are all about in lean, we're about the neat and orderly, right? And you talk right. about, you know, like, like that's what you love. That's that's perfect. Oh heck yeah, for you, <laughs> right? But um, you know, we can certainly bump up with um, you know, people who are, um, I would say, on the surface of trying to be neat and orderly because they have to be, but it's right. it's, it's really difficult for them. It's it a is. very it's a very difficult thing for them to maintain and and we can inadvertently make them bad right yes because they are struggling to to follow along with with the yes. program and mm -hmm. um I think it's something for you know for us to to pay attention to they don't know what would actually help them they can't tell us yeah because they've never been work yes exactly they've never been allowed to take care of themselves yeah. in a lot of cases. And that's nuts, that's absolutely nuts. So yeah, if you help somebody realize what makes them comfortable, and the way I always start that with people is, hey, follow your impulses for the next couple of days. Just whatever your impulse is, do that. You know, and, and ignore that part of you that, that quiets it, just, just do the thing, you know? So if you wanna pick that up and touch it and play with it, do it, you know, whatever it is. And then they start to realize the things that are comfortable and you can ask people too. So, you know, how does your mind work and where are your struggles and these types of things? And then you can start to make, make suggestions too on other things that you've seen work and say, look, maybe this will work. Maybe it won't, but let's give this a shot. Let's see how this goes and, and try this. I had a young lady uh, that came to work with me and I'm pretty positive that she was dyslexic. 
Um, but she did not have a diagnosis. And I noticed she was a very articulate person, but when it came to typing her email, she really struggled. So I, I gave her an app. I said, and she was aware of it. She knew. And so I called her in one day. I said, hey, you know, would you like some help with this? She goes, yeah, yeah. If you've got a suggestion, I'd be all about it. So I gave her an app to use, uh, Grammarly. And, uh, and she started using that. And man, her emails were perfect. She was happy. Everybody understood her communication better. Life was better. And now she's gone on and has advanced even more in her career because she didn't have that holding her back. And so there was nothing wrong with her. She just needed this little app, you know, and, and, could, and could then function. But she was a highly creative, brilliant person. Um, and so just little suggestions like that. And I didn't sit there and go, you're dyslexic, blah, blah, blah. You know, who cares? I just said, hey, would you like some help with this? And she said, yes. And off we went. There you go. It's that simple. Wow. That's really, that's wonderful. Yeah. Hey, Catherine, it was a good experience. I think, how do people find you if they want to talk more? If they want to talk with me, find me on LinkedIn. I'm all over LinkedIn. Uh, message me directly. I'm all for it. Um, also, feel free to uh, to check out my company site, titanmanagementusa.com, or my speaking site if you'd like me to come speak to you, uh, to your organization or your group at kmccordspeaking.com. That's great. What would be your one piece of advice for a young person starting out? <sighs> Honestly, it's break your ego defense and always respond in curiosity because you expand as a human and as a professional when you do that. No matter what you're going into, it is extraordinary. My world opened up astronomically when I started working on that skill. And it's something that has enriched me beautifully. And I so I preach it. I evangelize for it. Respond in curiosity. Respond in curiosity. I love that. Wow. Thank you. Catherine McCord, thank you so much for traveling with me to the edges of Lean. Thank you so much for having me on the journey. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Catherine McCord for being my guest at the edges of Lean. What did you learn from this conversation? What ideas did it spark? We would love to hear from you. Find Catherine at titanmanagementusa.com find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. Don't forget to subscribe and check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com where you will find lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelbach with support from Podcasting. This is a Lean for Humans production.